Black Friday is around the corner, and I want to share with you three really clever tricks you could use with Bold Product Options app to maximize your Black Friday revenue. If you don't know about Bold Options, it's the easiest way to add unlimited options like text fields, file uploads, date pickers, radio buttons, colors, swatches, and more to your products. It lets you get around that pesky 100 variant limit, and you could save your options as templates so you can add them to a product or multiple products with one click. It's a huge time saver. Okay, back to the holiday tips. There are three things I love to do with bold product options. First, I like to add gift wrapping as an option to all the products in the store and charge five bucks for it. It's a great way to make a little more over the holidays. Here's how you do it. In bold options app, you'd create an option called gift wrapping, then assign a $5 price to that option and add it to as many products as you want. So you can literally add gift wrapping as an option to every product in your store and as long as it's taken me to explain it to you. The second thing I love to do with it is using that same bulk assign feature is to add a checkbox to every product asking, is this a gift? And then I use Bold's conditional logic feature. The customer selects yes, a text field appears asking, would you like to include a special message? You could charge for this too or just make it free. I think it's a great value add around the holidays. And finally, the third thing I love to do is bundle products into the options. One of the super neat things you could do with Bold Options is link an option to an actual product in your store. For example, I like to add an option to all products that use memory cards that says add memory card with a yes or no radio button. If they select yes, it actually adds the memory card to their cart. You could do this with any good add-on product. I think it's one of the lesser known power features of Bold Product Options. You essentially could do bundles and cross sales in your product options with it. What's not to love? The best part, you can add the Bold Options app to your store free for 14 days by visiting boldcommerce.com or searching Bold Options in the Shopify app store. Additional support for the unofficial Shopify podcast comes from SEO Manager. You already know the benefits of SEO. The higher you rank in search, the more visitors you get, and more visitors means more sales, which means more money in your pocket. But how do you do it? That's where SEO Manager comes in. It helps Shopify store owners get found in search engines more easily, and it's trusted by thousands of store owners. No surprise there, it's equal parts power, innovation, and ease of use. Think of SEO Manager as your optimization toolbox. Here's some examples. It can scan your site for issues, offer keyword suggestions, add structured data support, analyze missing pages and redirects, and even integrate with Kit, plus a ton more tools to help you be easily found in Google searches. Best of all, it's easy to get started. You can get started in minutes, and their friendly support team is always on standby if you need help. Seriously, I have met them. They are the best. And as a special offer to you, you can get 10% off SEO Manager forever when you sign up at seomanager.com unofficial. That's seomanager.com unofficial. Welcome back to the unofficial Shopify podcast. I'm your host, Kurt Elster, recording from EtherCycle HQ in Skokie, Illinois. And today we're talking about absolutely wowing your customers with customer service. And joining me to do it is Tyler Sully Sullivan. Now, you might say, wait, hold on. Why are we talking about impressive customers? Because 
in having this mission of amazing customer service, it has allowed our guest today to raise his prices, make more money, carry less inventory. It has been phenomenal for him. I learned in the pre-show. We'll we'll break it down. But quick listener note here. This is Sully's second time on the show. His first episode in which he said, hey, here's how I live the literal four-hour work week with a seven-figure business is in our top three, not just relative to first week of downloads, but ever in the entire history of the show, he's top three, which is a quite an achievement. Uh, so, Sully, Tyler Sully Sullivan, Bomb Tech Golf, how you doing? Love that intro. Well, I, I hope I can live up to the hype today. Oh, if you, you'll, in the, you already live <laughs> just in the, like 10 minutes we talked before the interview. I'm like, yeah, I should have recorded that whole thing because it's gold. Well, I'll try to replicate for the listeners. I got faith. Um, okay, give us the give us the update since you were last on the show, and while you're talking, I'll look up when that was so we have a, a time frame here. But what's changed between now and then? Because you had a successful business, and it, that's always an interesting place to be in because like when you're not stressed about scaling, now you can be stressed about just optimizing and improving. Yeah, I know. So while I feel like... A lot has definitely changed. I can't remember the exact timeline I was on, but I had a couple of interesting things that happened that made made me take more time to look internally at the business and just see what I could do better. And the outcome was more cash in the bank at the end of the day. So at the end of the year, I had a couple of my long-term customer service employees. I mean, we're talking two plus years with the company. They wanted to leave to try something else, and uh, I wish them the best of luck. And it made me, you know, during the hiring process and the training process, made me really look at my business to see what I can improve. And I found a couple of pretty big issues that I was unaware of. Um, and now the business is better because of it, but it was kind of an eye-opener because, to your point, last year when we spoke, I really was not working that much in the business, and I still don't. Um, and really when they left, I thought everything was perfect. I thought customer experience, which is the most important thing. Um, the thing I focused on, I thought it was dialed in. I thought everyone that bought stuff from us was happy. There was no issues. And I found out during the hiring process and training process, that wasn't the case. So specifically, I found out there was four countries overseas that we were shipping to that products were taking six to eight weeks. Uh, sometimes they weren't showing up and it was such a minute or small volume of orders going to these these places overseas but it was taking up like 20 percent of customer service in terms of phone calls and email and then we were losing money on those orders and my previous employee who was a great great guy worked hard was really good at what he did we just never communicated about that and the, the he just let it fly so by me jumping back in the business during training, it made me realize, okay, I need to live the four-hour work week, but also have tabs and really have a pulse on what, you know, customer service, um, you know, ads, email, what everyone is doing so that I can make sure we truly are offering a better customer experience. For that situation, we actually killed some of the countries we're shipping to or changed the shipping method. And that was pretty eye-opening. So it, I'm excited about because it, it gave me something to work on to make our customer experience better. But it was one of those things where I would have never thought it was an issue 
because we were just running on autopilot until we had new people come in. Um, so it was, it was pretty eye-opening. But now we're in a, a better place because of it. But I would have never known it was going to happen if he didn't leave. So it was an interesting, <laughs> interesting transition, end of the year. Shaking things up. Like, even your business was certainly not broken in any way. And in many ways, the system worked in that there were issues and you weren't seeing them because you had delegated them and the business totally. kept going, kept making money like that. If you flip the the frame that we're looking at this with, that's a win. Um, but it also it's a failure in that, OK, there was some it was readily fixable. You didn't even have the opportunity to fix it because you had no idea. Correct. So in the. um you said one issue was like we're shipping to countries where things aren't uh, going, where they just don't get delivered. And I used to run into this like 10, 15 years ago um, when I was doing eBay. Um, internet it was like as soon as I like, saw something's going international, I'm like, oh no, here we go. And <laughs> if it, like, uh, there were a few countries where you knew, like, they just go, hey, it never showed up. And you check the tracking, and sure enough, it just disappeared along yep. the way. Mail distribution could be unreliable in some countries. It's not like the holy grail that it is in the United States. So you had covered that issue and it was because you had employees just overlooking it or not bringing it to your attention and not in a malicious way. Like they thought they were doing their job. Are there, were there anything else that came up as you were doing these? Yeah, exactly. So when we, it just, it, it pretty much gave me a mind shift and a little bit of a step back to say, yeah, the business is killing it. We are doing well. Again, it was a minute issue but I said, all right, let me take this as an opportunity to improve every aspect of operations and experience, right? So there was one other issue. We actually talked about this with um, customers were also ordering, you know, the wrong options. And it was because there was a default setting on uh, Shopify where they had like regular flex. We have like a regular stiff as our default. And guys thought they were ordering stiff, but they weren't actually choosing it. Um so again, another operational thing that is not the end of the world, but it just gave me the opportunity during training to physically be in the inbox and be on the phones and say, okay, that came up twice or three times or five times. It's not like it's it's rampant, but and I said, okay, what can I do just to fix that? So as we scale or we get really busy, you know, we don't it doesn't multiply and have more customer service people, more overhead when you really don't need it. So that was just the real opportunity. And then it, it gave me also the frame of mind to say, okay, while I'm looking at the data operations, what can I do from a customer experience standpoint to literally wow our customers? So I made, this is probably the biggest, this is one of my secrets, but I'll hook you guys up. Probably <laughs> one of the, I, I, I feel like a, not many things truly like move the needle in a, in a, in a big way, but I made an owner's group. So we have multiple Facebook groups, I think 35,000 people total. Whoa. And, and, but I had like a 28,000 person group and it, it like, it never, like I could post on there like, Hey, new product coming or here's a deal or whatever it is. And it, it would get, it'd be crickets. But hmm. when I first had the Facebook group, when Facebook groups were new in 2000, not dating myself, like 16, 17, I made a new product post in the group and did 50 grand from one post. Jeez. So I knew, I knew the power of it. So I said, you know what? I need to rethink this. And I said, why don't I just, I wanted to set up the business to operate and crush it without having to get new customers forever. So I said, why don't I just wow the current customers 
make them feel like a VIP by service, you know, uh, uh, early access to new deals, an owners-only group, all sorts of perks and benefits, and really wowed them on the service side, and that all came up with the turnover. So I made this owners group, and it's very small. I'm trying to keep it small. It's like 4,500 or 5,000 people. And I started doing, like, some of my new launches this year with owners-only early access. And we would, you know, we would tie that in with email, and it absolutely just destroyed it, like, back in the day because it was a small enough group where people could see the post, they could engage, and these were owners. So these are my best of the best. These are real customers. So it was... And now I spend a lot of like a lot of my actual time where I'm like, what do I do with my day? I go in there and I talk one to one with guys that own our product, and it makes not only product um, launches easier and more revenue, but man, I get so many ideas for new products. I ask them real questions. And it just like goes to my whole story and my whole belief on engaging with customers and potential customers on all platforms that you can, and Facebook groups and email. I believe are the two easiest. So the whole thing stemmed from a turnover in employee to look at the business deeper, got my hands dirty like the old days, actually writing emails to customers, and a lot of good came from it. And uh, that owner's group was just, it's its almost like magic. Um, and with that being said, the one other point, not to ramble on this, but by really focusing and saying, okay, customer experience, fast shipping times, get it to you there. In a good way, we're, we're adding, we call customers, thanking them, handwritten notes, you know, little uh, koozies, different things in the box of the packaging. And the whole goal was, can I wow them so much that I can launch new products at higher prices so that I can live a life I want, which is sell higher price, higher margin, less overall inventory. So I've got more cash in bank and less tied up in inventory. And so far, we've proven that this year because I almost doubled or tripled my prices. I did make the products better. Let me say that first. So it wasn't like out of the blue. I'm like, screw this. I'm just going to double prices. You could. Uh, I did that with actually one product, but these new products I launched, I was actually scared to launch them at these prices. But because the customers were so wowed and engaged, price became a non-issue. And now I'm living, I'm back to working, you know, four to eight hour work week right now. Um, a better system to keep tabs on guys. But now I'm not so stressed out in terms of inventory because I've got less inventory, higher margin, and more cash, and I'm okay being sold out of product. So it was a total different shift in business model of like, okay, what's the point of all this? You know, it's to live a life I want, uh, have employees that want to be excited to work here, good customer experience, and also have some money in the bank, right? So that's, <laughs> a lot came from something very little, you know what I mean? There is, oh my God, I have... I, I've written down at least 10 bullet point follow-ups, <laughs> things to unpack, and anyone who knows me, I'm like squirming in my seat, dying to ask follow-up questions of you as you went through that. Uh, okay. Oh my god, where do I begin? Alright, well, here's, let's go early on, you said one of the, I asked, alright, what one of the examples, uh, give me a, an example of an issue. So we had, you know, people not getting their stuff, which is like, the worst possible thing that can happen in Holy Grail or in Holy Grail in e-commerce is you have their money. They don't get their stuff. That is like the absolute worst possible experience because it's the same as getting scammed. So obviously like even if it's only happening a small percentage of the time, it's not something you want to ever happen to people. 
So you, you were able to uncover that issue, which is great. The other issue, and we had talked about this a little bit on um, Facebook Messenger, was uh, the UX user experience of the product option selector. So just to explain what we're talking about in because a lot of merchants uh, probably have this problem and have no idea. Right. Most Shopify themes uh, that I've encountered, if you have multiple options, they just default to selecting whatever's there. So whatever the first one is. So if it's, and we typically see this on like shirts. Let's say you sell shirts and you list them uh, in ascending orders. Go small, medium, large, XL. It will default to size small, of course. And people without thinking... Uh, and even I have done this, is you just click, you go, oh, yeah, I want that shirt. And you just like, your brain just short circuits, sees the word large, and it goes, yeah, okay, that's my size. Add to cart, orders it, shows up, and then they got to exchange it. And then they go, well, I thought I ordered a large. So now, like, really, if you want to provide a good experience, even though it was and wasn't your fault, you got to pay, eat the cost on that. It's painful. Um, and, like, at scale... You start having to think about the environmental impact of these th- of these returns and exchanges. It's huge. So any place you could reduce returns and exchanges is a good idea. The solution is um, you disable the add to cart button so it says like select a size. It is something to that effect. And it's usually um, apparel apparel stores that that run into this issue. Okay, um, what uh, you you talked a lot about really like this is about making customers happy and the net benefit the way you've been doing it is the way you started your business and part of your very early success that we learned in the last episode with you was um, you adopted video early you used a lot of personal branding you still use it if you go on bomb tech golf today everything is written one-on-one first person sully is talking to you the customer it's like i've got a 15 percent discount going do you want the coupon like that sort of thing it's very conversational it's very cool and it sounds like you've returned to your roots in that now you're you're in Facebook groups uh, one-on-one with people, right? Totally. Yeah, yeah. Like, to speak to that, I mean, Facebook early days for me was what the group is now because I had reach, right? And for the last year and a half, I've candidly struggled where, you know, like, I'm only working that much because I, if I had, I have more time, but really... I don't see a lot of places where I can spend four, five, six hours, 10 hours, 40 hours and actually have an impact on revenue. And for me, like I have a very black and white way of thinking. I'm like, is this going to make a better customer experience? If it's no, I don't do it. Is it going to drive more revenue? If it's no, I don't do it. So like a lot of people message me and, you know, different owners because we've got, you know, a small agency and stuff. We work with some clients and they're like, what do you mean you're not working 40 hours, 50 hours, 100 hours a week? I'm like, what are you doing? Like, I really don't even know what you're doing because a lot of stuff, it feels like you're do, you're busy, but it's just moving ships on the Titanic. So, like, it, it was exciting for me. Deck chairs on the Titanic, yeah. Right. My, my favorite. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That it's... turned into a mixed metaphor, but, yeah, I know. It, yeah, deck chairs on the Titanic because it's such a fantastic phrase. There you go. And you're right. Like, for lack of having that 10,000-foot view Many business owners, like this is not limited to merchants, Every all business owners do this, is like they see numbers going down and it could not, like it could be that it's just a, you know, a, a small intraday shift and they panic and just start like throwing apps and uh, at the problem. <laughs> I mean, they just, the goofiest stuff. Um, but I think to your point, the difference is, is recognizing that 
but also understanding like busy is not the same as productive or and or successful. Correct. Exactly. So like it was exciting for me. And like I actually I, I rarely open my laptop, which people think I'm insane. They're like, what do you mean? I I, re- I sometimes I even find it. Um, I don't take my laptop you, home. I, yeah, yeah, when I'm at home, that's it. Like it's over. Well, because when I, I when I open the computer and I and even when I just start to like edit the website, I personally usually screw something up. I, I do something that you, you you would not think a customer relates to. I would delete it or something. It would never help sales. I mean, other than the offer being right, the images being good, and a good video and your copy, like that's I just focus on that. I do it once. And that's it. I don't keep messing with that. I used to do that all the time. I, we talked about that before. I think it was changing button colors, logos, themes, like all this stuff. I'm like, dude, this is insanity. So I just stopped. And um, But for me, like that's really important. So when I started the owners group, because like when I first started, this was like Facebook five, six years ago, I had 400 likes, but everyone saw my stuff. So I'd be like, hey, guys, I'm designing a driver. Um, what loft do you want to play? Or what do you play? In? And it would be like, a hundred comments. It was great. It was crazy. So like for me, it's like, we don't post that much on our actual page, which has 115,000 people. But this small 4,500 person group is 100 xing the revenue. It's, it's pretty amazing. So like for me, that's like the big wins. And it's like a lot of my time. I'm just trying to figure out what is one thing that I can do to focus on that drives like real, big levers and that's probably the hardest thing is so i do a lot of thinking which is tough for me uh <laughs> re- researching and just not being in front of my computer and that's where i have these ideas that once in a while are good uh like this owners group and uh so it's exciting to get back to like if you want to call it my roots but just to have anywhere and we do this a lot in email so it's not like but this is nice to have it on social too to have a place where we can engage and really like i mean i did a launch just a test launch, like owners only early access launch. And we, I was having a bad day that day in terms of revenue. It was like off season a couple months ago, or it was, I think it was end of January. I was like, you know what? Let me test this theory. And I launched, I was like, oh, I'll probably do an extra 15 grand would be sick. I was like, that'd be huge. Uh, from an owner's group. I think I did like 65 K from <laughs> a mini launch in a small group. I was like, that's not bad. I'll spend some time doing this. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, the thing, like, the BombTech brand is so much you. It's that that personal brand um, that really drives it because it's easy for people. Like, BombTech is a cool name. Um, you know, it's a little different than most most golf brands are, um, like, a little, uh, are more conservative. Um, and, like, early on, BombTech was, hey, we're going to go direct to consumer. You were, like, a he- really ahead of the curve on a lot of stuff you did. Um, you're like, I'm going to do video. It's going to be personal branding. We're going to go direct to consumer. And in doing that, you were able to give a better experience, this personalized experience, uh, and lower prices. But then over time, you're like, all right, I'm, you know what? People are loyal to this. They're true believers. I'm a, uh, I've, I've gained a ton of experience at designing and manufacturing this stuff. Why shouldn't we double the prices or triple we're, the prices? Yeah, and we're still, and that's the thing. I made the product better. Right? I was like, let's make it so freaking good. But we're still more affordable. But it's at least at a point where I'm like, it, it's it's like reasonable. You know what I mean? Before, yes. I think I was getting to a point with some of the products where it was almost too cheap. Where people were like, the quality can't be good. And really, I was like, you know what? 
the product is so good and we're still so affordable and like we give the best customer service, but it's like, you know, we deserve it and our customers deserve it. And it's like, I don't know, but it gets, it's a slippery slope with price. And I saw that on my biggest revenue year ever where we did some deals that were crazy. And I look back and said, why the hell we did that to chase a vanity number, which is revenue. And it was a great year. I can't knock on that year. We did crazy numbers, both in profit and revenue, but like, it was a more stressful model and it's just, it's not all about revenue. You know, like that's, that, that's a number you like beat your chest on, you know, like, Hey, I did this much money, but it doesn't matter. You know, it's all about cash and bank and you know, that business model. So that was a big, a tough move, but so far it's been the best move we've done. To quickly demonstrate credibility and experience, I'll say it's a se- you know, seven figure brand, whatever. And I'm sure there are people out there who go, man, I wish I had a seven-figure brand. There are plenty of seven-figure brands that lose money. So I, 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 <laughs> yeah. I, I love that you say, listen, revenue is a vanity number here. Um, it's about cash in the bank and cash flow, and especially with you know when you're doing your own manufacturing and you got to buy product so that you can sell product. Like cash flow in e-commerce businesses is the biggest financial struggle um, that people run into. Hold up. We'll hear more after this quick break. Support for this podcast comes from Simpler a new way to staff 24-7 sales and customer service on your Shopify store. It works with your existing email and chat tools, so setup is quick and easy. Simpler provides on-demand, US-based customer service specialists to answer your customers' most common questions. Close more sales with Simpler by staffing your email and live chat with 24-7 Simpler specialists. Find out more at simpler.ai. That's S-I-M-P-L-R dot A-I. And now back to the show. Hit me. Measuring customer loyalty, there's a really there's two easy ways to do to quantify this. One is your return customer rate, and the other is uh, like a net promoter score, or just asking, or if you really want to simplify it, in my customer development surveys, we'll ask people, would you recommend this brand? Like, how likely are you to recommend this brand? And it would, uh, yes, no, okay, um, that'll give you a pretty pretty clear picture. Do you do you look at any of those those KPIs? Uh, I mean, a return, I, I was just pulling up because we were talking the, uh, I don't know if this is good, but this year, January through March are returning customers 34%. Whoa. Yes. Okay. So I would say, uh, typical, if it's under 20%, we tell people like you got a problem. It's not good. If you're not optimizing for a return customer rate, like, but you've got good customer service, you're just not like intentional about trying to bring people back like 20, 25% is pretty normal. Anything over 40 would be extraordinary. So uh, 35, and it obviously depends on vertical, but 35% is very, very good. Well, I think that's one of the biggest things to our challenges. Our products are not consumable. Yeah. <laughs> or like, yes. It, so it's like, that was the one big stressor for me too in terms of product was like, how am I getting someone that, let's say they bought by a full set, right? You could play that set for potentially 30 years. Like you don't even have to get the newest stuff. So I've been doing a lot of like trade up promos, like trade up your old or your current version of your driver version two to version three. And this was another game changing thing we did this year. Um, one of my thoughts when I wasn't in the office, I said, all right, well, let's really hook up owners and make them feel special and give them a trade up deal. And then it will fuel our other website, which is our pre-owned website. So, and by having higher prices, we can now take product in, and now we can sell it on pre-owned. And now we actually give the customers that want the newest stuff 
a unique experience. So they get to trade up at a significant discount. But then we get product we know we can sell them pre-owned. And that was that's how we were able to get our return rate, you know, higher in a product market where someone could buy a set and not come back for a long time. You yeah. know, so that I do sometimes envy like the the makeup or consumable brand line and stuff. And I just, you know, I, we don't have that yet. Um, so that was kind of my answer to how do you get people to come back or keep buying where they don't necessarily need to buy, you know, and it, it really, if the products weren't cool and better and different, which I'm just focusing so much on and launching new stuff, they wouldn't, but if they didn't love us and we didn't treat them right, which I'm spending so much effort, like a- actual effort on, you know, it, it wouldn't be possible. So I, I'm still fortunate and thankful that the repeat order rate is whatever it is. Um, it's because of those factors, I think. Let me ask you, like, this is purely a uh, devil's advocate spitballing question. You've got, let's say you've, you're on version three of your driver, and it's uh, at um, version three is, is triple the price of, the, of version one. What if you sold version one and called it, the like, the classic and then had it at 50%, so still higher price, 50% the cost, as a price anchor to version 3. Totally, yeah, no, we, it's funny, I've thought about, it. we've got actual version 2 still live on there at $100 off, and a lot of brands that are much bigger than us will have, you know, two products, where they have, like, different tiers, so it's definitely a really good concept, and, totally, and the bigger brands may even have four tiers, you know what I mean? Where they have like a they go ultra good, better, premium best. driver. Yeah, exactly. And I've always really this whole last year talking with business model and cash flow. I've been just doing the opposite in terms of options and just scaling and thinning down to really like only our best sellers. Just because two years ago I had a lot of, not a lot, but enough of various like options that were not super popular that I was sitting on and that were tougher to move. That again, a lot of this comes down like what is what's causing me stress? Do I want to do I want to run that business model? I just say no. So like like a lot of guys like well I want a, a eight degree extra stiff. And it's like yeah we used to make uh, an extra stiff version five years ago when I did all custom, but I've got data that shows we sold less than two percent of those. So a lot a lot of the tough decisions I made where I have to say no is really just for a business model I want to run versus having every single option, stiff, lady, senior, like a million, like hundreds of options, and then running a business I really don't enjoy and having more stress and more inventory that doesn't turn. So that, that's when another pivot is like, all right, I got to say no on stuff that I, that I think is a good move and turn some customers away to have a business model that's heavier on cash and, stronger overall on the risk profile too and just because inventory is my biggest thing that either gives me joy or sadness um and right now i feel like we're at least in the best place for the product offering um pricing cash flow and just the whole overall demand you know so but that was that was probably the hardest thing because when i first started i wanted to have everything you know i wanted every option and then i said well why do i even want this and we even saw this on another different example like with t-shirts like we did a t-shirt and it, it doesn't kill it you know i'm not a t-shirt guy i don't know i whoever kills it with t-shirts congrats i have not been able to crack that code uh but like we had a t-shirt that was like medium large xl 2x and 3x and then i'd have like all these haters being like dude you're discriminating me i'm a 4x and i'm like well 
I, I made those before and just didn't sell many. So it's just one of those things where I really am letting the market dictate what products to have and being okay with saying no, you know? I could not be happier with that answer. You know, I, I don't necessarily know that I had an agenda there, but <laughs> I always see, um, like, this is a common struggle where, you know, we uh, start working with someone and we go, hey, you've got 100 products, but realistically, there's five products that are making 80% of your revenue. Just get rid of the other stuff and you'll sell more overall. And, like, it's so rarely do they do it and it baffles me because it like it's just it's straight up choice paralysis inducing for the customers where you have too much stuff in the catalog you want your really good stuff to shine and you want the stuff that makes you the most money to sell get rid of the other garbage like why are you selling that crap uh totally yeah, yeah. a handful of people buy it i mean what are you doing and like to, to that point too like we've had a big thing with lefties because we don't make lefty version clubs there's more tooling costs mold costs and it is a very small segment and so, like, this year I said, you know what, I will give it a run, but I'm taking pre-orders five months in advance. If you guys want to show up, do it. If we don't sell enough, we're not making them. So that's been my other answer for, you know, customers, potential customers that want a certain version, a certain type. A lot of it with social media, and this is a big thing, too, when I talk to whether someone's new to e-commerce or established, they're like, well, I think it's more on the newer side, but... Well, like there, people are messaging me saying I'd buy it. I'm like, that means nothing. It's much different to say yes on social media or email versus taking out your credit card and doing it. So for me, if I'm going to launch something that's to a new segment or a different audience, I just literally launch a pre-order far out that leaves me time to manufacture. I just say, here you go. If you want it, you guys been chirping me. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready to do it because it'd be great to add a new... Uh, audience to sell to it, whole new revenue stream, essentially. Um, but you got to here it is. This is your chance. And to my uh, my thought process, I only made three hundred sets on pre order of left handed wedges, and we sell thousands on right hand. Like I don't even know how many thousands a year. I said if I do three hundred, and if I can even sell out of these by the year, like I should sell out of them in like a couple days. But if I just sell out of them, I'll test the market, say it's a no go. And so right now. We only sold 115 out of 300, and it's been like a couple months. Like I'm, so, this is my way of testing the market with low risk, and I'm still getting cash up front, so cash flow positive. To say, okay, we tried it, we gave it a run, not a good fit, not going to make, not going to continue to make them. You know what I mean? So that's been my method of like, all right, I do want to try stuff, I do want to open up new segments, but I want to do it in a way that's responsible. Versus like when I made beer putt. Which I thought was the best invention ever. And anything What's when that? I think it, I made a game. I invented it about two years ago. That's uh, if you ever played beer pong, it's a golf version of beer pong called beer putt. Is what I designed, and it's like it, the same concept but with golf. Okay. And I was like, this is going to kill it. I post on social media. I got like a thousand shares on Facebook, and it was the hardest product. And you know what I did? This is when I was cocky. This is when I was. Thought it was big time, and I, I made like two thousand units, and it took me like two years to sell those. Oh, jeez! And it was just one of those. It was another one of these like marquee moments or big moments where I said, "Okay, you, you don't know what the market wants, and you really, you really don't know until they whip out their credit card." So if you're going to make a new product, 
you either be okay if you go in and just go for it that people may not buy it or you're going to do a pre-order and, and really test it you know so it's just yeah these, these things i've done during the process i go okay that's a good learning <laughs> i won't do that again you know what i mean the yeah absolutely well i think two things there is one once you've had a big success it's really easy to have uh uh we'll say survivorship bias where it's like, okay, the first one worked. So you're just like, well, I'm a business genius now and I can make anything work. Like we, it's easy to fall victim to that. Um, And two, I'm sure you didn't just make it. You asked some people, Hey, would you buy this? And they all said, yeah, that sounds amazing. I'd buy it. But the overlap to your point, the, on the Venn diagram of people who say they'll give you money for X and the people who will actually take their wallet out for it is unbelievably slim however slim you think it is it's smaller than that <laughs> yes exactly because i was like oh my god thousand shares like thousands of comments it's like this is actually one of our potentially most viral products ever whereas like we, we launched this other wedge set that did not get nearly the virality with the post and we sold like two thousand sets in like three days but it wasn't it didn't even have close to the viral impact and it was like it, it was just that one thing of like when I say the market dictates, it really does. Like I try to make the coolest stuff I can with input from like the groups and email. That's why we ask a lot of questions in email. Like, hey, like we'll do a lot of side by sides um, of like we don't use a lot of images in email, but sometimes we will be like, oh, click here to come check out our two, like a volcano torch versus all black to come vote and like a design. And to my shock, you know, the version I think is going to kill it doesn't always kill it. Uh, I don't know where I was going with that, but just the engagement and just asking <laughs> no, questions yeah, yeah. during the process helps at least make the product, but you'll never know until you make it live and you try to take someone's money, you it, know? Yeah, it's really tough to predict. I mean, even like doing this podcast for four years, I still have zero ability to successfully gauge which episodes are going to be big and which aren't. To this day, <laughs> I still can't get it right. I, it blows my mind. Um, the, like, what the... Th- the number one episode is a discussion about dropshipping. I yep. never would have guessed it, but it is. Going back, go back on track here. I got one follow-up question. Your Facebook owners group. Yes. How do you get people to join? How do you if I'm a merchant and I want to yep. start a Facebook group, how do you promote it? That's my question. All right. So what we do, so we have like a, just a regular group and then the owners group. So I post purchase with Clavio. We just ask a super simple question. Text says like, hey, you're awesome. You just bought some bomb tech clubs. Do you want to join our exclusive? I I mean, no, this is just uh, paraphrasing. Do you want to join our uh, bomb tech owners group? (laughs) And that's it. And it links to the group. And then people, they apply to join and ask them what their email is and what their order number is. And anyone that doesn't answer, both those gets declined. Um, Isn't it amazing how few people answer the questions? Well, it's just like, and I know some of these guys are customers, but I'm like, to make this, like, this is another example, like, it is amazing. But I'm like, if you don't answer it, I, you're just not getting in. You have to answer it. Like, just do it. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you need to put in five to six seconds worth of effort here. Otherwise, why should we bother? Like, if you can't be bothered, I can't be bothered. Um, well, yeah. it's just for, like, a scalable thing to have someone approve it. It's, like, it's either yes or no. It's just one of those few things where it's black or white. Yeah. And they could still apply again, but, yeah, to answer your question, it's just a super simple, and all my marketing and emails and stuff we do, I try to keep it so simple 
that you can you can read it at like a fourth grade reading level and you can easily be like okay there's an owner's group cool click the link <laughs> that's it you know don't get yeah, fancy with it the magic of the magic of what you're doing is just you're like hey stop overcomplicating things it does not need to be overdesigned it's basically plain text it's a few lines saying hey join this group do you want to go ahead here's the link i mean so many Simple. people overcomplicate so many things and I, I you'll really like you'll point. perform better without doing that Right, I think that's to a point, like not to go too deep on this, but overcomplication, like we see this a lot in email and email design. It's like, oh, we're doing HTML emails and over, like really deep design because it makes them feel busy. But the actual outcome of like a plain text email that's super easy to read that takes less time actually have a bigger impact. And that's like for me, like my overall thinking of anything with e-commerce or business in general, I try to simplify it down to, I want to spend less time to have maximum impact, but especially early on, like, I mean, this is a year seven for me and I'm definitely no guru, but it's just for my own sanity of, and life I want to live. I'm like, all right, well I can do it this super simple way or hire someone to do it this simple way. Or you can spend all this time on it, have no measurable impact. Like if it doesn't have an impact, just don't do it. Uh, you know, like, but it, it makes you feel busy to do the things that may, may not have an impact. And that's the thing for me. It's like, you know, it's it's almost harder for me at this point because I, I, I don't spend much time doing. I do a lot of time thinking for that, like, that 1% idea that has massive impact that I, I may only have one of those thoughts a year. <laughs> you know, or I have 10 I think are, and then only one of those things come to fruition and actually have a big impact. But that's where I spend to, like, just spend my mental and actual energy. It's like, all right, let's not focus on just staying busy that just drives me nuts i don't want to do that you know you i think the magic here is that you have this this wonderful approach in which um you're acting with this this mindful intentionality uh to always run your life through this very simple decision framework that goes what's the impact of this okay the, if it's not good i'm not doing it and so many very few people could do that so like what that's that may be your superpower um okay Coming to the the close of this episode, I want to know how you get customers happy. Give me give, give me examples on on wowing customers. Sure. Run so the most again most simple answer is engaging. So like uh, this is three places we mainly engage uh, on ads. So anytime someone comments, we comment back. Uh, email. We have a we definitely don't have a no reply email. We encourage people to reply, ask them questions. And I have two guys that their entire job is to listen to customers and in email and reply. So we have con it's conversations at scale. So that's the overall thesis. Um, and then the group, anytime someone comments or posts, I comment or post a GIF or something. So we're just engaging everywhere we can. Um, and then from there, it's the actual product. Is the product freaking badass, right? Like the reason... I've sold so many golf clubs is because at the end of the day, the product is freaking amazing. You know what I mean? Um, and what I've been focusing on this year is unboxing. Uh, this is another area that I kind of let, uh, what's the word? I, I did not focus on it before. It's just a plain box. You get a club with an invoice. That's it. Now you get, and this is old school, so I am going back. It's like, you know what? we got to do a little more here. So unboxing, we now have a branded box. costs a little more. Uh, with our logo on it, which is not a big one, but we have a koozie in there, a um, sticker in there, 
a, a note written from me. It's not, I don't actually write it, but it's like, you know, thank you for your order. Welcome to the team. Your order has impacted our family and business. Uh, without you, we're nothing. Like, just super grateful. Um, and then, I don't want to give you all my secrets, dude, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, these we, are the good ones. Do, yeah, these are good. And then, uh, post-purchase, we uh, call customers. This is someone something anyone can do and just say, hey, uh, this is, you know, Mike or Colby who worked for me or Sully even say, hey, I just really want to thank you for your order. Like, if I'm an owner and you want to think about something to do that's going to have a real impact on your business today that may not be scalable and you're getting orders already, I would call those customers say, hey, this is Sully. I'm the owner of BombTech. I just want to thank you for your order. And you watch what happens, dude. Because they'll, they'll, they'll have diarrhea of the mouth, be so pumped that the owners call them number one. But then you'll have product ideas. Like, all these things come of those conversations. And you should just give a shit, too. Like, end of the day, it's like, these are you, you spend money to get this customer. You should thank them, right? Um, so that's, like, a huge one. Um, we sometimes do handwritten notes post-purchase. We're doing a postcard app right now. I don't know if that's having a big impact, but it's just a, a different way to say thank you. So I try to find on two, two buckets. Number one is engaging everywhere we can to have real conversations. If someone's upset, say, cool, I'm sorry you're upset, and listen to them. So just engage and have real conversations. Um, and then thanking people on every platform. And the last one is we do run an ad specifically on Facebook post purchase. It's just it's a me saying me saying thank you. So oh, that's really good. That's clever. Yeah, it's so cheap. It's like we spend nothing on it because it's a small audience. It's just like, hey, this is Sully. Thank you for your order. You're freaking awesome. It's a video, and and like, I think again, so you have those two things, two buckets. But then at the end of the day is try to do stuff in your business that you actually want like care about like i actually thank people i really do appreciate their business and i feel like a lot of people are just doing things tactics strategies that like they think is going to make them money or like you know uh drive all this revenue it's like well it's really not that complicated if you have real conversations with people ask real questions and thank people and are grateful i mean you're gonna win like but a lot of, i don't know if everyone really feels that way like, i don't know if really they are thankful <laughs> and really yeah well, that's you have to care, you know, like at the end of the day, if you don't care, why are you even in business? You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about uh, success and uh, the framework in which it happens and a lot of like the mental framework that which it happens. And one of the interesting things to create a I found is to create a larger luck sale is um, sale S A I L in which you can have more opportunities come to you is just to be genuinely grateful to people who have impacted totally. your life. In which, like, every so often, when I recognize that, if I go, wow, this service is really great, or this person's really great, I will say, you know, I'll thank them for it, and I'll write them. I say, hey, if you want it, here's a testimonial you could use, um, or, you know, just tell me where you want to submit it. And that, like, being proactive and offering that uh, is, is impactful on people. Or going, you know, a, a different way and saying, because, like, that's, that provides them a thing of value, but if it's not in the context where you could do that, you literally just go, hey, I really appreciate you know, what you're doing um, and how you helped me, and this is the impact it had on me. That can make a big difference. Totally. Yeah. And again, it's just it's simple. Like saying thank you and caring. If in like what we try to do to, to close it up is, uh, you know, customer experience. You know, if you just care and you leave, like that's why after training the new guys, you know, that started this whole conversation today was the new employee turnover. 
I just said, okay, this is why we do it. And it's if you have the premise and the, I give them like almost control to just wow them and do the unexpected, you'll win. And so I don't micromanage those guys in terms of like, oh, you gave him a free club or you did this or whatever. That customer is happy. I don't look at the individual uh, profit per head and say, well, dude, you gave him a free club. It's all about the long play and like the word of mouth and everything you get from just caring and doing that. It's just, it, it's, it's great. And that, you should feel good about that. Like I feel like when I knew that those couple of customers weren't getting their clubs, I just felt like shit. So we sent out, I, I took a bath on those couple orders that were overseas. I sent them new clubs on a faster shipping method and like we lost a ton of money, but they got brand new clubs. We ended. We were able to, you know, re, we re, well, we refunded them and gave them new clubs. We got free clubs, and I paid for the shipping twice. And it's okay because guess what? Those guys that already had a bad situation have now bought again. You know, it's because we cared. And I just say, you know what? I'm gonna lose money in this because it's not micro like that. You just gotta care, thank people, and and just have discussions at scale. That's it. But you know what, Tyler Stolly Sullivan, thank you. This has been amazing. I feel inspired. Uh, hey, I'm pumped to be here a second time, so I appreciate the uh, the time again. Big news from our friends at Out of the Sandbox this month. Their newest theme just launched. It's called Flux. And it's for those of us who loved all the bells and whistles in Turbo, but thought, I need more of this. That's where Flex is a game changer for you. It can be configured in an endless number of ways, thanks to more layout and section options than ever, more granular control of settings, and easy addition of custom CSS through the theme editor. It's perfect for development agencies like ourselves, as well as e-commerce entrepreneurs like you looking to create a unique online store experience for your customers. Now here's the coolest part. Flex has a new Demo Shop Import feature that allows you to fast-track your shop setup based on any of 12 demo shops. You get all of the theme settings, layouts, content, and sections used in that demo shop of your choice applied automatically to your store. You can check Flex out right now at outofthesandbox.com. And if you like it, take 20% off the purchase price when you use code PODCAST20 at checkout. That's outofthesandbox.com and code PODCAST20. The unofficial Shopify podcast is distributed by EtherCycle LLC. We'll be back next week with more value bombs for Shopify store owners. If you're looking for more high-quality and actionable advice on learning the business of e-commerce, join thousands of other Shopify store owners on our totally free newsletter at eCommerce Bootcamp. That's eCommerce-Bootcamp.com.